Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Scott, uh, this story of uh, Mr. McDonald and what took place in his home and uh, the Crown first charging him twice with second-degree murder, then moving to manslaughter and then saying we have no reasonable con- chance of conviction, expectation of conviction, so the charges were dismissed. What do you come away with? Well, I think it's uh, what got your attention as well, too, is that this is unusual. It raises an eyebrow, like, how would this happen? And I listened to your discussion with your previous guest, who was uh, one of the lawyers, and um, it appears as though, and I must admit, I wondered about it from the very uh, beginning, um, about why the police would have recommended these charges in the first instance. I mean, these are as severe as it could possibly be. And when you read some of the statements from the police after the charges were withdrawn, it was obvious that the cops weren't exactly real thrilled about it. So I kind of wondered about that, like, how did that happen, that the, the police made the recommendation for those charges? And the basis of it is, and look, at this is in one way the strength of our system, because as the lawyer mentioned, you know, our process is we have something called a preliminary inquiry, where the Crown has an evidentiary standard to meet. It's not very high. But in this instance, based on the evidence that was called, and look, we don't specifically know exactly what that was, but that the judge decided that the uh, the evidentiary standard for murder charges were, was not met, but uh, manslaughter, which is essentially um, unlawful, an action that resulted in an unlawful uh, death, although without the intent to kill, and so that's what the committal was on. And subsequent to that, the Crown then decided, you know what, we really haven't got the basis for conviction here. question for me, really, from the outset was, is that because they thought this was a legitimate self-defense issue under Section 34 of the Criminal Code, as you've uh, mentioned? Or was it even that they thought uh, that the the factual circumstances were such that they weren't going to be able to show that whatever it was that was done was done deliberately, that it might have even been accidental? And the most interesting thing I heard in your entire interview with the defense lawyer was at the very end when he was talking about this issue about why the charges were laid, and he made a reference to a statement that his client had made to the police upon you know uh, uh, being um, uh, investigated originally. And that's something that I just my spidey sense suggests to me that it might have caused the cops to think that this was something that uh, merited the charges. Hmm. Uh, okay, so wherever we are, do you expect a situation like this? I don't. We can talk about this particular case, and we appreciate Mr. Wilson coming on the show. Uh, do you expect this to go further, uh, or is this over? Well, it's over from the sense of the prosecution uh, by the Crown, because the Crown is the one that has made the decision, which is accepted by the court, right. that there will be no further prosecution. So this is this case is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think. You know, there may be, uh, let's see if there's anything in terms of, uh, you know, systemic accountability about why the charges were laid in the first place. Uh, I suspect, however, as I mentioned, that, and I'm, I'm, I was glad to hear the lawyer uh, mention this as well, too, this was not some, you know, accidental random act. This was a set of bad guys who believed they were going in because there was criminal activity in this place, right, that they could actually uh, profit off of and everything. And it's about how it is that this, uh, the, these two shootings actually ended up happening. So I don't think there's going to be any further legal proceedings on that, 
But like is always the case in these individual cases, and as you mentioned, we've discussed this over the last couple of years, it is always worthwhile looking at the fact of these kinds of cases to see whether or not the legislation itself can be improved. Mm-hmm. But in, in this instance, at least, and again, I can't tell you whether it was because of self-defense or because of you know, uh, not being able to show that it was a deliberate act, but in this case, uh, the legislation was such that that protection was actually afforded. Okay, we have two minutes here. I still believe that we need to have more opportunity for people to exercise their own judgment to defend their lives and the people around them than the law permits in this country at the moment. Anyway, that's a discussion for when we have more time. You're particularly interested as well in the situation in North Vancouver with the stabbing. I'm just going to read a couple of lines here, or the first sentence from the uh, Canadian Press story. A senior RCMP officer says the department shares the community's grief and outrage after a stabbing rampage left a young woman dead and six others injured on Saturday. Now, this this was written on the 29th. This story is on the 29th of March uh, at a library in North Vancouver, British Columbia. What's caught your attention? Well, what what got my attention was not only the severity of the act itself, but when I read through some of the media reporting on it, it turned out that this guy had outstanding warrants for his arrest at the time that this attack took place. And that's something that we had dealt with years and years ago at the Canadian Police Association, where there were warrants that were issued, but... You know, and and then the bad guy uh, fled the jurisdiction and came to the attention of police in other jurisdictions, but nobody acted on the warrants because it was too expensive to have to fly them back to their home jurisdiction. And that was something that we had dealt with. And I think you even actually interviewed a guy from uh, Alberta, uh, Mike Elliott, who was the uh, president of the uh, Edmonton Police Association, who'd done some work on this as well, too. And so I started digging into that because it should always be not only like what the motivation was for this kind of an attack, which we still don't know, but also how the hell was this guy on the street? Because it turns out he had multiple convictions in Montreal for violence, including uh, uh, using weapons. Uh, he also had two warrants out for his arrest because he'd breached the conditions. Did that mean he was uh, released and then breached the condition and was released again and then breached the condition? Then it turned out, as I was digging into it more, Turns out that he'd been arrested in Winnipeg, and there was a arrest warrant out for him there, and he was released from custody there. And Scott, and I have 20 seconds. More, I found out that it was actually, guess what, he threatened to stab people. Mm-hmm. He was denied bail. Did that mean that the, as they would have if they had checked CPIC, which of course they would, yeah. that there were war- arrest warrants out for him, but nobody did anything. Okay, more to come, no doubt. More yes, keep your eye on this one, folks. There's more to come. Good to talk to you, my friend. Thanks, All Scott. Right. Scott yeah. Newark. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.